Welcome to another episode of BC's Path to Universal Childcare podcast. As always, we are starting today with a land appreciation and acknowledgement. We are honored and ever grateful to live and work on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We thank, you, we thank them for having care for these lands and waters since time out of mind. We would like to recognize that this podcast is recorded on traditional unceded lands and honors indigenous ways of knowing that have nurtured the children and peoples of this land from time immemorial. Welcome, everyone. And today we have with us Gita Chad, who typically is our interviewer, and she will be sharing inspiring and insightful stories she has learned from children. Welcome, Kida, and over to you. Thank you so very much, dear Nora, and welcome all wonderful listeners. I'd like to just begin with a little bit of context to my stories. Uh, several decades ago, while teaching at the college, there used to be what was called lunch and learn sessions where we as instructors would take our little brown bag lunch and listen to a guest speaker. And I learned so much from those sessions. One particular session that I attended was given by Dr. Kieran Egan. He had been one of my professors in the Faculty of Education when I studied at SFU and I loved him so very much. The title of the session was something about the importance of stories. And please know that these sessions were not just for those of us teaching in early childhood, but in any area of the college studies, you know, like uh, hotel management, pardon me, <clears throat> hair salon, uh, health areas, whatever. So we come into the room, we meet Dr. Egan, who says... We all know the importance of stories for young children's learning, but what we haven't paid enough importance and attention to is the importance of stories for adult learners. He then introduced four students who were doing their master's degree at the SFU, and he um, invited them to share a little bit about their research project, which they called Four by Four. So the four of these master's degree students would stand outside a lecture hall or a classroom as a class was completing and ask four people, one to each of them, if they would give them four minutes of their time and said, we have four questions we want to ask you. So each of the four got a volunteer, and the first question was, can you remember the exact title of today's session? People said uh, something about stories or storytelling. They tried, but nobody got it exactly right. The second question was, can you remember four facts that you learned in today's class? Somebody said, is this session two or episode four of the podcast or session four or episode two? Nobody could actually name four facts. However, their final question, can you remember any stories you learned today? Everybody was able to report 
perhaps not fulsomely, but in essence, for stories that stayed with them. So it really um, compelled me about the importance of story sharing and storytelling at the adult level. And as Nora said, today I want to share some of those stories, even from decades and decades ago, that still remain so powerful and so much with me. Some of them are based on my own experience with children, and several of them are based on my visiting of students in their practicum settings, where I overhear conversations primarily directed by the children. So, first insightful story, actually, that happened with and for me was uh, probably about 35 years ago when, in the preschool setting, a little girl was all curled up on the floor, like with her head tucked under as though she were a turtle. So I crouched down and I gently touched her back and I said, Amanda, it looks like you're not very happy. She lifted out her head and just said two words, and they were, nobody, anything. And so even when today in the snow, I'm having a bad day, I might hear myself saying to myself, "Uh oh, it's a nobody, anything day. She soon got up and we read a story and she felt fine. But I thought, what a way to summarize Uh, nobody's sharing, nobody's helping, nobody, anything. Another story was on visiting a student on practicum. This was probably also about 30 years ago. The student was leading a story group time and she sat on the chair and she held up the book and she said to the children, today we're going to read this storybook and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to hold the book like this. So if you can't see please move to a better spot. One little boy immediately starts saying, I can't see, I can't see. And his friend sitting right beside him turned to him and said in a bold voice, you always say that and you always will because you never move to a better spot. And so I'm thinking in our lives, personally and professionally in early childhood education, that is actually a very helpful little phrase. Maybe I need to move to a better spot. Two little stories to share. The third actually happened with me. That was when I was teaching kindergarten in Ladner. This will give you a little indication of my age, now 75, when I taught kindergarten the first year that kindergarten was part of the Ladner school system. You know, prior to that, it started grade one and go through 12, but this was the first year of kindergarten. For the most part, very few children had previously been to a preschool or a child care setting. So, you know, there was some need for gradual entry and attachment issues and all of those things we know very well. 
I will forever remember Mrs. Newman, who met me and said to me, this year, you'll meet my son, Gary, and next year, you'll meet his younger sister, Tammy. And it's important, Gita, for me to let you know that our family is Jehovah's Witness. So I said to Mrs. Newman, I really appreciate that you've let me know that. And to be honest, I only know two things about your faith. One is that you don't celebrate birthdays or Christmas or Easter or Valentine's or Halloween. And the other is that you don't have blood transfusion. And she said, you're right. And I said, I would actually like to learn more about the Jehovah's Witness faith. So if you had something short that you might loan me, that would be very helpful. She responded very positively and said she really appreciated that I asked because I was the first person, she said, who ever asked about learning more. She then went on to say, that she didn't want me to have to change my program or my curriculum when we were having holiday celebrations in the kindergarten. So she said, if you would please just let me know when you're going to start to celebrate Christmas, Valentine's, Halloween, I will keep Gary and next year Tammy at home. We'll just do some fun things. Again, I don't want to spoil for you. I thought, I really appreciate what she's saying. I'm Jewish. I don't actually celebrate Christmas. Nonetheless, I get it. Still and all, I'm thinking, and I ask all of you to think, what might we say if Gary goes to the art table where I may have pre-cut red Valentine hearts for the children to do, you know, collage or free coloring or painting? I'm not going to say, Gary, your mummy doesn't want you to do that. I'm not just going to give him an eight and a half by 11 white paper. And then all the other children are going to say, how come Gary can't get a heart? To this day, I'm still struggling to think, what could I respond had Gary gone to said table? And I don't have an answer that I feel um, would be positive and uh, supportive of him without either embarrassing or making it a difficult situation for both Gary and his friends in the kindergarten. That leads me to a quote that I'll forever hold in my heart and my head. I know we always want to respect and acknowledge the source of the quote. In this case, I don't know. However, the quote is this, early childhood is not rocket science. It's way harder. I know a lot of people who don't understand about our work would think, oh, fun, you know, snack time, outdoor time, music time, story time. I'm the one to say, you're right. That's a big part of the day. However, please, you come and spend a full session in our childcare program and you will see how complex, in fact, it really is. That so many times we want to respond to children in a positive way. Yet, you know, could I offer a book and say, please, Nora, turn to chapter eight, page 200 and whatever, and they'll tell you what to say to Gary if he goes to the Christmas tree table. 
They might give you some ideas. They might give you some theoretical explanation. However, very few will actually offer something direct that you can say to the children. And because we know how children are very individual, what might be something to say to Nora might not necessarily be helpful to Crystal. You know what I'm trying to say. So indeed, our world is much way harder than rocket science. I come back to Gary in, in pardon me, in kindergarten because in the curriculum, we had the letter of the day. So each day we would move on through the alphabet to a new letter. And I know in the early childhood field, we were worried before the early learning framework came to us that perhaps, you know, things were going to be more teacher-directed, teacher-structed, academic. However, wonderfully, early learning framework, all play-based. Nonetheless, today was letter F day. Letter F. I'm going to tell a little ooh-ooh story. So in my pathetic uh, art skill, I drew a little froggy on the blackboard. That'll place the story decades ago. We don't even have blackboard anymore. And so one thing, I think we didn't even have dollar stores then, probably at Woolworths, I brought tiny little makeup mirrors and I put them in a basket. And when we were talking and thinking about the letter of the day, I passed the basket around and each of the children took out a little mirror and we watched in the mirror, what does our tongue, teeth, lips, chin, cheeks do when we say letter M as opposed to letter G as opposed to letter where we put our teeth over our bottom lip. And so I was encouraging the children to call out words that started with the F sound. And so indeed they did. Nora said food, Crystal said forest, fun, fairy, on it goes. And I see Gary, the little Jehovah's Witness boy, saying F off into his mirror. And I know Gary, being a very outgoing, sociable little boy, in a few minutes is going to actually call out the swear word, F off. And so he does. I then said, because one of the teachers that I had had when I studied my early childhood program in the early 1970s said to us, you will never make this 100%. However, try, try that the first words you utter out of your mouth, affirm the child. And so I did respond by saying, you're right, Gary, that is an F word, because in fact, it is and it was. Another teacher had said to us, when you're not sure what to say to a child, say what you're thinking. Well, the jury's out on that from my perspective. Sometimes a good idea to say what we're thinking, sometimes not such a good idea. Nonetheless, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't mean to excuse myself, but in this case, because most children in those days in preschool or kindergarten didn't know any swear words. And if they did, they likely would have learned that at home, you know, like mommy spills the coffee and says, oh, damn, or whatever. 
However, I thought that would be highly unusual in Gary's family, you know, Jehovah Witness home. So I followed up after I said, you're right, Gary, that is an F word by saying, and I wonder how you know that word. As soon as those words were out of my mouth, I'm thinking, Gita, really? Why do you need to carry on the conversation? However, as all of you know, once the words have been said, it's not like we have a fishing rod and we can pull them all back in. So here's how Gary responded. Well, you know, teacher, where they're building that new apartment in downtown Ladner, and I did. So I said, right, Gary, I do. He said, well, there's a big wooden fence all around where they're doing the building. And I said, you're right. And that's called a construction site fence because all the great workers are wearing their helmets and their vests and they're safe inside. And it keeps us safe on the outside. Gary then said, well, you know, sometimes people take markers or paint and they write words on the wooden fence. And I thought, aha, graffiti. Well, I'll save that for the G word day. So I didn't talk about graffiti, but I nodded in affirmation, right? And so now I can see Gary is feeling empowered. He's standing up from his little group time mat. He puts two thumbs boldly in the air and says, well, I know my letters, so I sounded it out. Literacy. Oh, my goodness. Now I know I'm going to have to phone Mrs. Newman because she's the mom who would say, oh, Gary, tell me what happened at kindergarten today. And Gary would likely respond, well, we were talking about the F word and I contributed F off. So I know I'm distracted all day. Don't know how this goes for summer, all of you. But typically when I have a challenging situation, I keep procrastinating because I keep trying to practice. Maybe I'll say this. Maybe I'll say that. I wasn't very happy with any of my thoughts. However, three o'clock came and I knew I had to rush down to principal's office and phone her. Of course, in those days, you know, no cell phones or anything like that. So I phoned her. I said, Skeeta uh, speaking. I wanted to downplay it. So I said, I just wanted to share with you a little incident we had today. And I'm not sure if you feel I handled it correctly. And I would really appreciate your feedback. So I didn't actually have to say the F word. I simply said, you know, letter of the day today was F and uh, kids were calling out fruit and fairy and fun and food. And um, you're very articulate. Gary called out this word. She started to giggle. And I said, when I asked him how he knew that word, because I didn't think he would have learned it at home, he told me he knows his letters and he sounded it out. So it was all about literacy. She gave me a very positive response. She smiled. She said, you you." you know, dealt with it as best you could. And I love that you shared with me, try and affirm the child. And thank you so much for phoning me. So I drive home to Vancouver from Ladner thinking, oh my gosh, I was totally stressed out all day. But the very difficult situation actually ended up much better than I anticipated. 
until the next morning when I drive into the parkade of the school and one of my colleagues says the principal wants to see you. Principal was very strict, uh, never smiled. He was not happy with me because I said that rather in the kindergarten classroom, having desks and chairs, I wanted just to have, you know, learning center activity areas like we do. Nonetheless, into his office I go and he says in a very harsh voice, sit down. I do. He said, I hear you had a situation yesterday. I try again to downplay and say, well, there was an incident. However, I think it was very well resolved. He said, really? And he turned on, I guess, what was the precursor to our voice message on the phone. It was like a tape recorder. And I could immediately um, recognize Mrs. Newman's voice. And in fact, she had phoned and left a message early, early before principal got there saying to him how brave and courageous she thought I was to phone her yesterday afternoon and share the story with her. For the first time ever, the principal smiled and said, be on your way. So it is true that, you know, sometimes very challenging situations can have a positive outcome. However, the next year when Tammy was in the kindergarten class, Tammy put up her hand at share time and said, I want to tell the kids all about my birthday party. And I knew she didn't have a birthday party. On she went about uh, the games, the toys, the birthday cake, the food, you know, the prizes, on and on. I actually was happy she went on and on because I was desperate as to how I was going to respond. Similarly to, you know, my earlier story about what would I say to Gary if he went over to paint on the red heart paper. So when Tammy finished sharing, I said something that I regret, and I still don't have a good answer. I said, sounds like quite a party, which actually presented that if you had had such a birthday party with all your friends and cakes and balloons and prizes and games, it would have been very cool. But I certainly wasn't going to say, you know, Tammy, you didn't really have that party. No. So this time when I phoned Mrs. Newman, it was much easier. And she said to me, I totally appreciate that it's really hard for my kids when all of their friends have big birthday and or, you know, Christmas party celebrations and they don't. So back to ECE is not rocket science. It is way harder. I'm still searching for an answer that would have been more positive and more supportive than sounds like a very cool party. I'm going to move on to two much more recent stories. Uh, shortly after the unmarked graves were found at the residential school in the interior, I was visiting a student on her practicum, and I was met at the door by a little boy. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. He put two thumbs boldly up in the air and said in a strong voice, we believe in solidarity. I was covered with goosebumps, so I knocked on the supervisor's door, <clears throat> pardon me, the office door, and I said, could I just sit for a moment and gather myself 
before I see the student. This was so remarkable. And if you have a minute, I would love to know how is it that you introduce solidarity to the preschool group? Supervisor said, I'd love to share with you. She said, we had a staff meeting and all of the staff were completely in agreement that we didn't want to do it in a teacher-directed or teacher-structured way. Sorry, teacher-structured way. Like today, new word solidarity, this is what it means. So they decided on a question that they would pose to the children at group time. And the question I loved and always do, and I'm happy to share with all of you, what does it mean to be a really good person and a really good friend? So I thought to myself, outstanding question to offer children such that they are engaged. You know, it's like a more emergent curriculum approach. So I thought, well, Nora will probably say about sharing and Crystal might say about helping. No, Nora began and said, you have to listen, which I thought was quite an outstanding response to what it means to be good friend, good person. Segue over to Crystal, who built on that and said, and if you're not sure you understand, good friends can ask again. I thought, whoa and whoa. Then around we went with help and share and take turns and, you know, give them your snack, your toys, whatever. And turned out that the last child was, in fact, the little boy who had met me. Because one of the staff, as each of the children responded to the question, what does it mean to be good friend, good person, wrote it up on the whiteboard and the supervisor took a picture with her iPhone. So she was able to show me actually what the children said. So little boy who met me at the door with We Believe in Solidarity said, my mommy and daddy taught me that to be a really good person and really good friend, sometimes it means you stand behind, sometimes beside, and sometimes in front. He then went on to give an example, which I'm not sure if his parents, you know, offered him or he made it up. However, the example was this. Let's say you know that Nora's a little bit afraid of going on the slide when we go to the playground. You can sit behind her, put your hands on her shoulders or around her waist and her tummy. She'll feel safer. Or if it's Crystal who's a little bit nervous about that slide, you can walk beside the slide and hold her hand. It'll help her go a little bit slower and she'll feel a little bit safer. And if it's Gita who's a little bit nervous and scared about the slide, you could sit in front and she could put her hands and her arms on your shoulders, your waist, and that will help her feel better. So between the definition and the example of being a sidestander and a bystander and an upstander, we were all super impressed. One last story. Uh, actually with um, the daughter of my cousin who was visiting here over the summer. And she said to me, Gita, I know you told me that your middle name, meaning Gita's middle name is Mira, 
And my little uh, cousin cousin's first name is Mira, but she remembered that we spelt them differently. So she takes a crayon, we're just sitting at the coffee table, and she prints out her Mira, M-I-R-A-H. Then she goes to mine, which is M-E-A-R-A. And then I added that I have a friend also named Mira. Her spelling is even different again. M-I-R-A. So my little mirror is spelling out all these words. And she then says, by the way, she's not making any kind eye contact. However, these are her exact words. By the way, Gita, do you know what integrity means? And I'm thinking, a four-year-old? Integrity? So to encourage her to speak more, I said something like, I think I might, Mira, but I would love to know what you understand about integrity. She puts the crayon down. She makes direct eye contact and says to me, integrity means you always and only do the right thing, even if nobody is around. She then goes on to give an example, like the little boy with the slide, and she said, Let's say, Gita, you see a chocolate bar on the table, but you know it's not yours and there's lots of people around. You're not going to take it. Then her exact words, however, if you are a person of integrity, what four-year-old is going to construct a sentence? However, if you are a person of integrity, you see the chocolate bar, you know it's not yours and nobody's around. You would never take it because it's the wrong thing to do. So that all just lifts me up in terms of the capacity that children have, which I think, you know, the Reggio approach really encourages us to think more about in terms of their understanding, their vocabulary, their definitions. Those could be great definitions of good friend best friend, good person, integrity, even at the adult level. I leave you with uh, learning, not from a child in this case, but a really good friend who used to teach at the University of Lethbridge in Alberta, Faculty of Education. She was visiting in Vancouver and preparing a speech that she told me she was going to give to the Alberta Teacher Association, which would be the equivalent of our BC Teacher Federation. So I asked her about the theme, and she said, I'm going to introduce the new three R's. So I grabbed a pen because she was busy at the computer, and I said, hmm, I know about the old three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, spelled very poorly, and that, as I said earlier, we worried might be the key theme of the early learning framework, not so. And I said, tell me about the new three R's, and to which my friend replied, I'm going to put forward that no matter what grade, and then she stopped and said, and I think this is especially important in early childhood because she knew that was my passion. In the beginning, in the middle, and the end of the day, the new three R's are relationships, reflection, and restorative practice. She said, even if a center is Montessori, Waldorf, Reggio inspired, a little more structure, a little less structure, 
all of us know that relationships are at the core. The children with the ECEs, the children with each other, us with the families, community resources, that's what matters the most. Second, reflection. I have to tell all of you, when I did my EC studies, I can't remember ever either reading or hearing reflective practice, self-reflection. We just called it review. And, you know, getting to work or home from work, review the day. How did it go? Uh, my voice was a little louder with Nora than I meant. I'm going to apologize. We could do a little better at the art table, whatever, whatever. And restorative practice, which is a more complex issue. But I share with you a learning from a wonderful elder at the college. Typically, you might, if you've attended any, pardon me, ceremonies or Indigenous events, when an elder either does introduction or thank you, they typically, along with their words, lift up their hands in an open, outgoing way. So Doris taught me that in uh, history, when an Indigenous community had people coming to visit, either through the forest, the water, or the sands, they would all stand outside with their hands open, showing that we have no weapons, we welcome you, which I didn't know that was the meaning. And Doris then said, and Gita, I think you'll like this in early childhood. The way I think about it now, when I put my hands like this is, we lift you up. And I thought, wow, because we are so committed and devoted to um, resiliency, you know, helping children and families, helping lift them up. So I'm hoping some of my stories were a bit of a lift up. I urge you to keep good memory in your heart and your head of stories you learn from children. Wishing you all the very best for happy holidays and hoping that we will be together again in the new year. Thanks so much, dear Nora. And thank you, Gita, for sharing these wonderful stories with us. Um, and thank you to our listeners for your support. Remember, you can get BC's Path to Universal Childcare wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to join our ma mailing list at wccrc.ca uh, forward slash enews. Sign up to get all our episodes and more straight to your inbox. If you have any questions or suggestions of guests, you may email those sites to ptucc at wsdcoast.org. Thank you, Gita, once more. That was great listening to your stories. And uh, we like to wish everybody listening uh, a happy winter break. Please uh, enjoy it with your friends and loved ones. And until our next podcast in the new year, this is BC's Path to Universal Childcare, signing off.